When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Just a heads up, what you're about to hear includes explicit descriptions and discussions about extreme violence. He's saying not to touch anything unless we're wearing gloves. Alejandro Hernandez Cardenas is a forensic doctor and works at the morgue in Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso. So we're at the forensic science lab of the state of Chihuahua uh, to meet with a doctor. The morgue is inside a cluster of plain buildings behind a chain-link fence at the state attorney general's office. The first thing you notice when you enter is the smell. The smell here is very no, hospital, like no, rubbing alcohol, sanitation. Not, no, it's not even close. It's a smell that's hard to describe, a mix of cleaning supplies and decay. It's overpowering. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a smell that you will never forget. It'll stick in your subconscious, conscious, unconscious. You, you have that smell for days. Juarez has been violent for a long time. But in recent years, the whole world has started paying attention. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, the murder rate in Juarez started to climb, for women in particular. The city has a lot of maquilas, which are factories that make goods for export. After NAFTA was passed in 1994, even more factories opened, and a lot of women were coming to Juarez to work in them. Over the last two decades, hundreds of teenage girls and young women have gone missing in Juarez. Some turn up dead or forced into prostitution rings. The cartels were also focusing more on Juarez because of access to trafficking roads. This made Juarez especially dangerous for the people who live there. Many of the dead were being dumped in the desert, and the hot climate caused the bodies to break down especially fast. Ya trabajando aquí, me. He's saying that when he began working here, many of the bodies were so decomposed that they couldn't be identified, so they ended up in a mass grave. He also saw a lot of young women that had been killed, which was really hard for him because he has three girls. To help identify the dead, he decided to research how to make decomposed bodies look alive again. Eventually, Dr. Hernandez figured out a way to rehydrate corpses by submerging them in a special chemical solution. So we've entered his personal lab space, and there's uh, a plastic box that's sort of the shape of a coffin without a lid. It's maybe uh, three feet deep and three feet across. This is the, the jacuzzi, as they call it here. 
where he submerges bodies in this liquid. The process brings back fingerprints and reveals identifying features like tattoos and scars. The work is incredibly useful and difficult on a lot of levels. Even now, the doctor often works alone. The people he works with says he's crazy. He's saying that when he's alone with the bodies, he talks to them. He tells the bodies he's going to put them into a bath, tells them he's going to make them look like they used to so they can be identified. In the years after he developed the technique, Juarez's murder rate continued to increase. By 2008, it was at an all-time high. Back then, 20 bodies were coming in every day, so the morgue has to hire extra people to work night shifts to process all the corpses. He's saying he remembers one case when 12 bodies were found buried underneath a house. They were in bad shape. So to identify all the bodies, they needed to rehydrate every finger. That's 120 fingers. Episode 4, The Border. Listen to that. Mexican federal officers were in a gunfight Sunday with a drug gang when they were also attacked with a grenade. This war zone is not in some far-off country. It's just across the border from El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. This new violence is partly connected to El Chapo. The murder rate in Juarez spikes between 2008 and 2012 which is when El Chapo and the Sinaloa cartel are trying to take things to the next level so they can control traffic and routes across the border. Yesterday, there were 13 executions here in Juarez. The day before, 19. Two of those were decapitations. Juarez was a mess. Organized crime was everywhere. A lot of police were involved, and those who tried to enforce the law were frequently threatened or killed. Federal prosecutors in the U.S. say they have one witness ready to testify about a murder house the Sinaloa cartel set up in Juarez. According to this witness, there were plastic sheets covering the walls and a drain built into the floor for all the blood. That is how extreme the war in Juarez had become. It was engulfing the city. Because of the violence, tourism has dried up and more than 6,000 businesses have closed, leaving tens of thousands unemployed. The traffickers that controlled the city, the Juarez cartel, were fighting Chapo's Sinaloa cartel in the streets. Businesses closed and those that stayed open had to pay bribes to the cartels. People even started trying to make their homes look shabby so they wouldn't get noticed by the gangs. And a lot of innocent people were getting killed. Luz Maria Davila moved from Mexico City to Juarez in 1985, looking for a job. What was it like when you first came to Juarez? Like, what was your impression of the city when you first arrived? She's saying that Juarez was a good place to find work. And back then, it was peaceful. In Juarez, she found work in a maquila. This one was a factory that made speakers. She also met and married her husband, Jose Luis, and they had two sons, Marcos and Jose Luis Jr. She says the boys were into playing American-style football, 
and there were good students. She's saying she didn't care what her sons study as long as they kept going to school. She just didn't want them to end up working in a factory like her and her husband. She just wanted them to have a better life. When did, when did the city start to change? She's saying things started to get really bad in 2005. That's when the cartels started fighting for territory. There were decapitations, young women get killed. She wanted to live to protect her kids. And then one night in January 2010, she was sitting right here in her living room, waiting for her boys to get home. Usually she was pretty strict and wouldn't let her sons go out at night. But they were just at a party right down the street. She says she heard gunshots very close. Her husband heard them too. They ran to the street. When she got to the house where the party was, she found a woman outside who's been shot in the head and in the back. The house was full of smoke and kids were bleeding. She saw her son Marcos. He was on the floor. He was dead. She saw her son, Jose Luis. He was still alive. Her husband picked him up and put him in a truck along with another victim. There's a hospital close to their house on the outskirts of Juarez, and they rushed there. Jose Luis immediately went into surgery. Luz and her husband waited. Her son, Jose Luis, died at 5.30 in the afternoon. She unwrapped his bandages and found out that uh, he'd been shot in the chest, abdomen, genitals, legs, feet, and arms. Fifteen people were killed in the attack, most of them teenagers like Marcos, who was 19, and Jose Luis, who was 16. The guys who killed them were from La Linea, a gang that belonged to the Juarez cartel. Apparently, they thought members of a rival gang connected to Chapo and the Sinaloa cartel were at the party. Some of the kids played in a football league known as Double A, which also happened to be the initials of the rival gang. Juarez is right on the border with Texas. You can literally walk into the U.S. from here. So it's always been an important city for drug trafficking. But it became way more important back in 1992 when NAFTA was signed. President Bush picked an appropriately symbolic setting today to sign the North American Free Trade Agreement between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. He was at the headquarters of the Organization of American States in Washington. The agreement will create a free trade zone throughout North America. When NAFTA takes effect, cheap U.S. corn floods the Mexican market, putting many farmers here out of work. And U.S. companies set up maculas just south of the border, outsourcing more factory jobs to Mexico. Which means that suddenly, Juarez becomes this huge manufacturing hub, and freight traffic across the border increases exponentially, which is great news for drug smugglers. Because there is so much traffic, it's impossible to search all or even most of the vehicles crossing between the U.S. and Mexico. Smuggling becomes a lot easier. 
Juarez becomes one of the most valuable territories in Mexico. And Chapo decides he wants a piece of it. El Chapo escaped prison in 2001. So when he escaped prison, he has to start over. But he knew the business, he knew how to work, and he just need a plaza so he can, you know, smuggle all, all his shipment of drugs. So Juarez, it, it's a very good plaza for them. So they try to negotiate, I think... When he broke out of prison in 2001, or so the story goes, he proposed to the other cartel leaders that they start a new federation. Now, this works for a few years, but then a conflict starts between Chapo and the Juarez cartel. Now, he wants access to the smuggling routes to Juarez, and he tries to negotiate with the cartel, but it doesn't work. So he's suspected of putting out a hit on the leader of the Juarez cartel while that dude is visiting Culiacan. His name was Rodolfo Carrillo Fuentes, and his nickname was El Nino del Oro, the golden boy. And then three months later, uh, Chapo's brother was murdered in prison, and people believe that that was retaliation for killing Rodolfo. The thing in, in 2008 and two, 2009 escalated to a whole new level. Yeah, I mean, it, it also went, escalated from just like a, somebody got gunned down on the street to like making displays with violence where people were decapitated and heads were left on spikes and bodies were hung from bridges. And it's, it's not just a murder, it's a murder to send a message to instill fear. It's a clear message like, you know, uh, we're not just going to kill you, but uh, we're going to chop you up in little pieces. The violence gets especially bad in Juarez because the cartels have a bunch of different guys fighting on their behalf. There are street gangs like La Linea, which fights for Juarez, and the AA gang, which fights for Chapo. There are the corrupt cops, each cartel has different groups of police working for them. There are local cops, state cops, federal cops, and they are fighting against each other. Then in 2006... On July 2nd, 41 million Mexicans went to the polls to elect a new president. Mexico elects Felipe Calderón. After more than three days of vote counting and recounting, the conservative candidate, Felipe Calderón, has been declared the official winner of Mexico's closest election ever. His leftist rival, Andre Manuel López Obrador, claims that he was robbed of victory. After just barely winning the election, Calderón announces that he's going to deploy the military to fight against the drug cartels. Not since the Mexican Revolution of a century ago has this country seen so many troops out in public. A lot of his critics say he went to war with drug traffickers as a show of strength after the disputed election. Calderón says it was about retaking control of the state. Either way, he starts sending soldiers into the streets. Nearly 50,000 soldiers and Marines are now deployed in regions where drug violence is raging, from Mexico's deep south to its northern border with the United States. But the violence, it just gets worse. Since Mexico's president, Felipe Calderon, declared war on the drug cartels four years ago, almost 5,000 citizens have been murdered in Juarez alone. Mexico City, and we're going to interview Felipe Calderon, who was the former president of Mexico from 26 to 2012. 
Calderon is probably best known for launching Mexico's war on drugs. Calderon doesn't give many interviews about the drug war. He's sensitive about getting blamed for all the violence in Mexico during his presidency. Okay, could you just quickly just tell me what, what you had for breakfast? Could <laughs> you say avena is the... Oat, oat, oat meal. Oat, oat, oat some cherries and milk, that's it. Three years into his term, Mexico's murder rate had almost tripled. But he says deploying the military was the only way to restore the rule of law. So we started a massive operation to take control of the state. And actually, we did it. We, had, we got incredibly good results at the beginning. But that's basically the story. But this quickly expands to other parts of the country, to Tijuana, um, to the Northeast. And then, at the same time, you're seeing violence go up significantly. Would you do anything differently if you could go back and do it over again? That violence started because the fight for the control of the territory between the organized crime groups, between the cartels, and not because the action of the government. The U.S. and Mexico use this thing called the kingpin strategy, where they focus on taking out cartel leaders like El Chapo. And Calderon took this to a new level. Do you still believe in that, that strategy of targeting the leadership of organizations? Well, another common mistake is that we operated only capturing the heads. We were working across the board and we were able to put in jail thousands of people at any level. And what is important of this is, again, it is not about drug. It's about to recover the control of the state and recover the capability of the state to protect the citizens. Calderon told us that the bigger issue facing Mexico then and now was corruption, which he says he worked to tackle during his term. But an NPR report from 2010 suggests that the Mexican army was actually helping Chapo in the battle for Juarez, and that across Mexico, members of El Chapo's Sinaloa cartel were arrested far less often than members of other major cartels like Los Cetas. The Sinaloa cartel has remained relatively intact compared to other no. cartels in, in no, Mexico. Honestly, no. It's not intact. So the, the main leader was captured, which is El Chapo. After we talked, he provided some data that showed in some cities like Juarez, the homicide rate was decreasing by the end of his term, which he says was a result of his strategy. And he also says, look, the violence wasn't just Mexico's fault. I demanded to the Americans, to President Bush and President Obama, publicly, in the Congress, in the United Nations, to stop, we request two favors, which actually are not two favors, but two moral duties of you. Stop the flow of money and stop the flow of weapons. We have 30 years that you are saying that you are going to reduce the consumption. That is not happening. Esto quedó muy bonito. After Luz's sons and their friends were murdered, Calderon made a public statement saying that essentially they got what they deserved, that the people at that party, including her sons, were just gang members. All the people all over Mexico were so mad at Calderon because it seems to most of us that he didn't care. About a month later, Calderon went to Juarez for a meeting with people from the community. Luz and a lot of the other family members attended. This is the tape from that event. 
you can see Luz go into the meeting. She turns her back to Calderon. Security tells her to sit down or they'll kick her out. She's crying, but she stays standing. Then she walks to the front of the room, to the stage where Calderon and the other officials are sitting. She's just a few feet from him. And she says, you're not welcome here. She says, Juarez isn't what used to be. And the city is mourning for the kids who were killed. And she tells Calderon he should take back what he said about her kids, about them being gangsters. She tells him that's a lie. In the video, Calderon looks at her and nods his head. After a few minutes, Luz finishes and walks off. The room breaks into applause. Right after our interview with Luz, she took us to the building where her sons were killed. It's just a couple of blocks down the street in their neighborhood. The apartment is a memorial now. It's just one big room now, and the walls are lined with little altars for each of the 15 victims of the massacre. Luz paused for a moment in front of the altar for her younger son, Jose Luis. Luz says that when her kids were killed, there were soldiers everywhere, on the streets, on the rooftops, but they couldn't do anything. She asked what they are good for if they couldn't protect her family. Several cartel members were arrested for killing Luz's children and sentenced to prison. The violence did let up for a few years in Juarez, but earlier this year, the city was still averaging 200 homicides a month. And for Mexico as a whole, the murder rate is the highest it's been in three decades. Next time, a town under siege. There we go. Hey, Kigan, what's up? How you doing? Good. Get back from Tamiya. And I stopped with this family that I know, and we went uh, trying to see if this kid was home. He, he was threatened. He was threatened by the Marines. He was told that if he speaks to anyone about what happened to him, about what the Marine did to him. They will come back and they will kill him and they will kill his family. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.